This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. From college basketball to the pros, where one of the teams that made one of the biggest splashes at the NBA trade deadline has been struggling mightily since acquiring one of the game's biggest stars. We discuss that right now on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on your smart speaker. I'm Gabe Neitzel, along with Courtney Cronin, as we fill in for the guys this afternoon. And of course, that team we're talking about is the Dallas Mavericks, a team that is 8-16 since acquiring Kyrie Irving, a team that was solidly in the playoff picture in the Western Conference, and they have struggled so much, losing seven of their last ten, three in a row, that they have fallen not just out of the playoffs, but out of the play-in altogether. They're currently the 11th seed, a game back of the 10th seed to even get into that play-in picture where the Oklahoma City Thunder currently hold that 10th seed. What on earth has been going on, Courtney Cronin, down in Dallas? Because it's it's just stunning to me that they have fallen this far. Two months ago when you and I were hosting this very show, on the day of the trade deadline, it was four days removed from when the Kyrie Irving trade went through. So you and I were talking Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns and all those moves in the Western Conference that happened elsewhere, thinking, oh, Dallas is fine. They'll be okay. Yep. Two, two very dominant on-ball players. They'll figure it out on the defensive end. You wouldn't have made a trade like that if you weren't confident that you can somehow <laughs> get by. And lo and behold, they were sixth in the Western Conference when they made the trade for Kyrie. They're 11th right now. They're one spot out of the play-in tournament. This is not the way that anybody expected this to go, and I don't know if you would have made this move, if you're Mark Cuban, if you could have foreshadowed the absolute collapse down the stretch of the season, the 19 games that Kyrie Irving has played in. Dallas is 7-12. and I just look at this and I think utter failure and just flashing lights about this is maybe the end of Kyrie Irving after the next three games, however many it is in Dallas, and maybe the end of Luka Doncic with the Dallas Mavericks. I cannot see if this thing goes as poorly as it's foreshadowed to go because there's not much time left in the regular season that he's going to want to end up staying there beyond the next season or so. He's 24 years old. This is somebody who has, you know, made it to a Western Conference final, but not got been able to get a championship in his early part of his career where he's seen other players like Giannis Antetokounmpo do that early on. I think that Luka's going to want a new challenge if this thing ends up going how it's uh, expected to go here as we've only got a couple games left in the regular season. Because of the free for all, the free free fall, excuse me, everybody's trying to figure out what exactly went wrong. Because it hasn't been Kyrie. I mean, the drama that has followed Kyrie around at a lot of his stops in the NBA have not been there in Dallas. He's they, not the, the problem. He's not, he has not been the problem in Dallas. And Stephen A. Smith agrees with that. Kyrie's not the problem. However, he does think that maybe Luka Doncic is. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Stephen A. Smith you're listening to right now. And I don't have a single negative syllable to utter about Kyrie Irving. He is not the problem in Dallas with the Mavs. He's averaging 26 a game, 51% shooting from the field, about 37% shooting from three-point range. He's a reliable offensive weapon in the fourth quarter. He has brought to Dallas what you brought him to Dallas to do. Luca is the one, dare I say, that has a huge question mark hovering over him. And it's nothing statistical. Luca is on the verge of becoming the first player since LeBron James in 2004-2005 to score 2,000 points, 
over 500 rebounds and 500 assists in the season and not make the playoffs. That's what Luka is on the verge of doing. This is the important point to bring up about Luka. Luka gets 41. They lose a game. Luka's not only depressed after the game, he looks depressed during the game. I have a hard time blaming somebody who scores 41 points for them losing a game, but maybe that's just me. I, I can't imagine that Dallas is going to approach this as Luka is the problem, and maybe they just made mistakes in the players they put around him, much like, oh, I don't know, there's a guard, I'm trying to think of his name. He was a free agent, they decided not to keep him, he goes to New York, and now the Knicks happen to be in the playoffs. Oh, Jalen Brunson, that's the guy that they just decided to let walk out the door, who was a, a pretty good two-way player in terms of what he could do for you offensively and defensively. And defense has been the huge issue for the Mavericks really all season long. And it's something that really has followed Jason Kidd his entire coaching career. The teams that he has been a coach of, their defenses have not been good. You thought that there might be some 3 and D player that they could add to this mix after they make the Kyrie Irving trade and they send Dorian Finney-Smith back in that package to the Brooklyn Nets and Lo and behold, they didn't. It's just the most common sense thing, Gabe, that you look at the way that this roster is constructed and say, yeah, they can score a lot of points together. You know, a couple months ago, Kyrie and Luka were dropping 82 combined on the Philadelphia 76ers, and we thought, hey, this is sustainable. They're not going to like be able to stop teams, but they can score a lot of points. Well, what happens when your bench can't? When, what happens when your bench goes like two for 14 from three in a game? Not great. And it's just not capable. You're not capable of winning games when you're like trotting Dwight Powell out there to be your rim protector. In the age of cheap centers, why don't you just go upgrade that position somehow, some way, and try to give yourself a puncher's chance? The Western Conference is too loaded. It's too heavy from like one to about nine right now of teams that I think can actually make some noise. Not necessarily win a championship, but make some noise. Dallas is on the outside looking in of the play-in tournament. They're the 11th seed right now, and I don't know how you chalk this up as anything other than a colossal failure of the nth degree if they end up not making the playoffs, which they are headed towards doing, and thinking that there's nobody to blame but Mark Cuban at the end of this for making this move happen. He has been so desperate to pair Luka Doncic with another star since they Kristaps Porzingis failed experiment. He had every chance to do it by paying paying Jalen Brunson. They first get themselves in a situation and they want to wait it out. Well, his market was too much when he went off last season. And now he's with the New York Knicks. Now he's with a team that's fighting for their own chance in the postseason. And I really think that he's in the better situation, by and large. You project it out right now and down the line because Dallas is a dumpster fire. And this is not a situation that is going to be salvageable when we see how it's already played out this season when they did pour the resources into trying to fix it. Dallas has been such a dumpster fire that there were reports and rumors flooded out there that maybe the Mavericks would shut down Luka and Kyrie, and it even came back to the point where media had to ask Luka about that after a game. How much have you guys missed Bronson? <laughs> a lot. Amazing guy, amazing player, for sure. Yeah, so they also ask him about, and Lucas said he was going to be playing as long as they have something to play for, so they have that. And then, yeah, how much have you missed Jalen Brunson? 
And Luca actually answered the question. Like, yeah, of course we've missed him. So clearly a lot of things happening in Dallas with the Mavericks as they try to make a push for the postseason. Canty and Cullen presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. To help us break down this and more things happening in the NBA, we welcome in Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior writer and host of the Hoops Collective podcast. So he joins us here on Canty and Cullen. I'm Gabe Nigel along with Courtney Cronin as we fill in for the guys. Uh, Wendy, let's go ahead and start there in Dallas as they sit there with the 11th seed. What do you think the future is of Kyrie Irving? Irving with the Mavericks? Well, you know, the situation that they're in here is that they you probably don't want to give Kyrie Irving a very long-term contract because it didn't work out in Brooklyn, and you're also just concerned about his injuries. And that was really the issue with the Nets. You know, the Nets were willing to give Kyrie a contract. They just didn't want to give him a four- or five-year deal, and that's what led to his trade demand. And so... You know, if you're the Mavericks and you feel like you control the situation, you can negotiate a little bit. But if you're the Mavericks and you're worried about him walking out the door for nothing, which, you know, the Lakers, it wouldn't be easy to get the salary cap space to sign him outright, but they could. They could get there. They'd have to take their team apart. But, you know, in fairness, I have to acknowledge that. And after just losing Jalen Brunson for nothing, uh, it's a potentially very uncomfortable situation. And so if nothing else, it could force the Mavericks into offering a contract to Kyrie that maybe they don't want to offer him. And that's sort of the little intrigue that's being played out. And the fact that this hasn't been working, that it hasn't been a terrific place for Kyrie to get and all of a sudden feel super comfortable only turns the heat up on that a little higher. With Luka Doncic, Wendy, we know that today he was asked about Jalen Brunson, and of course they haven't been able to recreate the chemistry that they had. The frustrations, though, seem like they're mounting. What do you think beyond these next couple games? Let's let's project this out and say they miss the play-in tournament. What does the future hold for him in the short term? Well, it's a, it's kind of been a, a team-building disaster because they're in the conference finals last year. They owe this draft pick to the Knicks which is top 10 protected, which is what they might sort of tank to try to hold on to if they get eliminated the next couple of days. I, I don't think it makes any sense to not to, to, sh- to shut them down until you're eliminated. But once they're eliminated, I could absolutely, that's common sense to shut them down. And the reason they owe that pick is for a, a previous failed trade, which was the Chris House Porzingis trade. So you've got that bill that's still hanging around. You've got nothing back for Jalen Brunson. And you're faced with the possibility of either giving Kyrie a contract that you that you're not totally comfortable with or letting him walk for nothing or trying to maybe work out some sort of sign and trade where you're trying to salvage him. It's not great. And if you're Luka Doncic, you're not thrilled by it. And, you know, um, you know, when you have talent like he has and you have resources and desirability to play there like the Mavericks have, you're, you're never out of options. But they've inflicted some damage to their situation with Luka. There's no other way around it. Talking with Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior writer, host of the Hoops Collective podcast here on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app. I'm Gabe Neitzel. She's Courtney Cronin as we fill in for the guys today. While the Mavericks have been going in one direction, making their way and climbing their way up the standings have been the Lakers. Winners of six out of their last seven, currently holding the seventh seed in the uh, Western Conference. How confident are you that this is a team that 
should they win a game in the play-in, if that's where they stay, that they're going to be a tough out once those Western Conference playoffs officially get underway? Yeah, I think they definitely are. Um, you know, they're 14-7. and seven. You know, their record is 40-38, and 38, and, and that's they've got to carry that, and that's their situation. But that's not their real record. In my opinion, their record is what they have been since the Russell Westbrook trade. They're 14-7. and seven. And that's what uh, the majority of those games have been without LeBron James. And uh, now 14 and 7 may not sound that impressive, but if you're seven games over 500 in the West this year, you're practically getting home court in the first round. That's the, the nature of the, of the conference. And so, um, you know, they've got, they feel like they've got a fighting chance to do something. And their goal is, of course, not to be in the play in. There's, there's essentially a four way tie for fifth place right now because all the teams have, uh, have the same number of losses Clippers, Warriors. Warriors, Pelicans, and Lakers. There's a whole bunch of tiebreaker situations, but the Lakers have four games this week, and that's an opportunity to improve. The, the challenge for them is that they play a back-to-back today and tomorrow, and Anthony Davis has not been playing back-to-backs because he missed 20 games with a foot injury, and the way they were able to sort of salvage that injury was to try to keep him from overuse. It's a, it's a stress reaction to this um, navicular bone in his foot, which is something you do not want to break, and also it's something that is very painful, and so if you re-aggravate it, it might shut him down from multiple games. So what do they do? These are super important games. Do they bring him back tomorrow in a game against the Clippers, which is vital? It's as vital of a game as the Lakers have played in the last three years. And, you know, they've also got D'Angelo Russell, who has been has been banged up and he didn't play in their last game. And he's, um, I think, downgraded to questionable for tonight. I don't know where they bring him back. And so, like, there's, like, this real pressure about who's going to play in these two games. But they control their destiny here. If they're, they're able to beat Utah in Utah tonight and then do something that they haven't done in 10 games, which is beat the Clippers, they're going to be in really good position to get not only a top six seed, but potentially – as high as five. And so, you know, they win these two games. All of a sudden you're talking about a team that's 16 and seven. And even before that, I'm going to tell you that since the Westbrook trade, they're number one in the entire league in defense. That's the profile of a team that can be a, 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 a make a run, multiple star players, excellent defense um, and uh, momentum. And that's what the Lakers are really on the verge of having. The Warriors right now, the sixth seed in the West, and we find out this week that Andrew Wiggins is expected to return soon. Now, whether that's going to be for the remaining three games in the regular season, it's still up in the air. But getting him back in this lineup after a 22-game absence for undisclosed reasons, what does that do for the Warriors? Because we know we've talked a lot about how bad they are on the road. Can they all of a sudden just, like, create a new identity the way they do in the postseason, the way we've seen them do in previous years with Wiggins kind of providing that boost for them? I think the key is that it wouldn't really be a new identity because they've they've got it basically their team that won the title last year back, and that includes Wiggins, who they weren't sure whether they were going to get back, and it includes Gary Payton, who you know initially left to go to Portland, then they traded for him and discovered his um, injury was worse than they thought it was, and it kept him out for another month or month and a half. But he, we're going to get to the playoffs next week, and I think the Warriors are going to have basically their whole team back from last year. Now, in many years, thinking that a team could pull stuff together like this, I wouldn't like the chances of it. But when you look at the Western Conference this year, all of these teams 
are flawed in some way. They all have a susceptibility, including the Warriors, of course, which is their problems on the road. So normally I would say a team that has not demonstrated any proficiency on the road during 82 games would go into a situation where they would you know, not have home court for, for all four potential rounds. I would say there's no way they're making a run. But this team might be able to do it. The the problem that they have, in addition to not having home court, is they might have to play like the Phoenix Suns coming out of the gate or the, or the, the, the Kings who don't have the experience but have a very explosive offense. And, you know, when Wiggins missed, he missed about a month earlier this season with an adductor injury, and he was not good when he came back. It took him two, three weeks to get rhythm, and then he had another injury. Now, this is not coming off an injury. This is coming off a personal leave. But Wiggins doesn't have time to take a ramp up. So they're very happy to have him. But I think there's some mystery as to what kind of condition he's going to be in. Talking with Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior writer, host of the Hoops Collective podcast, Cantia Carlin, ESPN Radio, and the ESPN app. Before we let you go, Wendy, we've spent so much time talking about the West. Over in the East, not as deep. Three teams, it looks like, that could potentially come out of the Eastern Conference. The team that's in third right now, the Philadelphia 76ers, what does their future look like should they not make a deep run this postseason? Yeah, I actually think the three best teams in the league, though, are those three teams. Um, So, And somebody's going to have the toughest draw, and the 76ers are headed basically for the toughest draw in the whole league. Uh, they play in Boston tonight. They've already lost the season series to the Celtics. If they lose tonight, the Celtics lock up the two seed. And they're three games ahead in the loss column with the tie break. It's, it's a matter of time before the Celtics not lock that down. So that means for the, the 76ers to get out of the East, they're probably going to have to beat Boston and Milwaukee and to win the title, then beat a, a good team that wins the West. At the start of the season, we knew that somebody in the East was going to be disappointed because you look at Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee, all three of them have championship-quality teams. There have been plenty of years in the last 10 or 15 years where the East was relatively weak, where any one of these teams would have been far and away the this type of quality team, would have been far and away the leader and probably would have won the league. This year, it's top-heavy, and one of those teams, by very mathematics, is not getting out of the second round. And so... With James Harden headed towards free agency, with always the questions that come uh, or, you know, around you know, Doc Rivers coaching, who actually I think has done a very good job in getting this team to a good place this year, despite some, uh, some challenges with, you know, during the season, you know, I, I think that there's going to be some pressure there. And so uh, this is a very good team. It, it, they're good in part because Harden was willing to take a pay cut that cleared them some space to sign P.J. Tucker, to sign um, Eddie or Daniel House, to, to trade for DeAnthony Melton. They were able to re-able to build their depth like they're ready to go but they've got the toughest draw and they haven't fared well against the Celtics Celtics 3-0 and against them so um, that's who they could have to potentially beat in the second round they actually kind of line up better against the Bucks, but they may not get there so um, look I'm looking forward to Joel Embiid accepting that challenge. He and Harden have, have been great, especially in the second half of the season, although Harden's been dogged by a, an Achilles injury in recent last couple of weeks. Um, but it's going to potentially be an incredible high-end level basketball in the second two, in the last two rounds in the Eastern Conference. Wendy, we certainly appreciate the time and hope you enjoy the sprint to the end of the uh, NBA season on Sunday. Thanks and have a good day. 
Brian Windhorst, ESPN senior writer, host of the Hoops Collective podcast, joining us here on Canty and Carlin. Coming up next, we're going to get to an interesting story back in the NFL that's brewing in Arizona. But first, Courtney needs to tell you about FanDuel. Thank you, Gabe. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. And there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash play to sign up. FanDuel, the official sports book partner of Major League Baseball. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors... You're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Interesting story coming out of the NFL. We're going to dive into right now on Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80 on your smart speaker, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Gabe Neitzel along with Courtney Cronin as we fill in for Canty and Carlin today. And some... Allegations have been levied against the Arizona Cardinals and their owner, Michael Bidwell, by a former executive in Terry McDonough. And this uh, part of an arbitration claim that's been filed to the commissioner in Roger Goodell. Earlier today on NFL Live, Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL insider, really did a good job of explaining this Terry McDonough situation in Arizona. 
The former Cardinals executive Terry McDonough filed an arbitration claim today to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell alleging and accusing the Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell of cheating, discrimination, and harassment. It's a long, detailed petition in which he spells out all the ways in which he believes Michael Bidwell has done wrong, including using burner phones during the suspension of the former Cardinals general manager Steve Kime during his suspension in which McDonough claims Bidwell hatched a plan for all of them to communicate during Kime's suspension. Now, Michael Bidwell is countered by saying those claims are baseless by questioning Terry McDonough's character and obviously questioning everything that he raised today. Now, the arbitration claim went to Commissioner Goodell. The Cardinals have 20 days to respond to that petition that Terry McDonough submitted, and then Roger Goodell has the right to an arbitration hearing in which he can determine whether or not discipline is necessary in this particular case. McDonough also claims, Courtney, that he has the burner phone still that he was required to use as part of the secret um, nego- uh, communications that happened within the Cardinals organization while Steve Kime was suspended from the league. It, it seems like he's got a lot of ducks in a row to try to back this up and, and just really has any good story come out of the Arizona Cardinals organization over the last two to three years? It just seems like this is another in a long list of negative stories to come out of that team. I mean, you remember a couple months ago when the NFLPA's report cards came out about every franchise from the food that players are served in the cafeteria to childcare on game day. And as we know from Arizona, they make players buy their meals. They take them out of their paycheck retroactively, which is just absurd when you think about a professional franchise in the National Football League. But this tracks. This seems to be par for the course for an Arizona franchise that has a lot of skeletons in the closet, and they're coming out right now. This burner phone allegation is serious because when Steve Kime was suspended for five games for extreme DUI, and there's a lot there because I remember Michael Floyd was playing for the Arizona Cardinals, and he was cut after having a DUI, after, you know, getting charged with a DUI when he was with Arizona and it was right before, you know, the end of the 2007, 2016 season. Felt like a big double standard at that time when that happened and then the Steve Kime thing, he was just kind of like pushed off into the background for five weeks. Well, we find out he wasn't really in the background at all. He was very much in the forefront of this and having these conversations and you're forcing, you know, an executive who probably at that time was taking over some of these GM duties. Remember, he was the you know vice president. He was a vice president within this organization, and probably handling some of the personnel decisions while Steve Kime was was on the shelf more or less. And you're forcing Steve Wilkes, the head coach, who went three and thirteen that year, to go along with this. And apparently, according to this arbitration filing, when they didn't go along with it, there were harass. There was harassment. There was Steve Wilkes being fired after three and thirteen season. And Terry McDonough saying in his arbitration case that he felt that Michael Bidwell stood in the way of Steve Wilkes getting hired somewhere else again and that Terry McDonough had been demoted and demeaned and harassed by Michael Bidwell. I don't you don't against the shield against owners who have billions of dollars. You don't come out with lawsuits like this unless they are buttoned up and sealed like foolproof you cannot come out with stuff like this unless you know you have a very good chance of winning and i think that that shows you the severity of these allegations and frankly the weight that they carry right now the arizona is in a really tough spot and 
probably why you're getting that backlash from Michael Bidwell in that statement and then the outside counsel calling these totally baseless claims. They're not going to say anything else, but the NFL now has 20 days to respond to this to try to figure out whether it's football-related or whether it goes to a different arbitration filing. Doesn't look good right now for the owner of the Arizona Cardinals. We know that Daniel Snyder has cast such a black cloud over all owners in the NFL for how atrocious of a human being he is. Doesn't feel like Michael Bidwell, according to this report, is too far off from that. Yeah, and making sure everything is buttoned up is probably what took so long for him to make a claim. He was uh, McDonough was with the Cardinals, and he was their vice president of player personnel from 2014 through 2019. And you hit the nail on the head to me, because you want to make sure you've got everything lined up, and you are... Any, anything that they lob back at you, you want to make sure you have an answer for, especially when, you know, it's really just an internal NFL process and it's up to Roger Goodell to, okay, well, what are we going to do? Is there going to be discipline towards this owner or not? You want to make sure you have everything lined up, and I'm sure he sought legal counsel in, in order to try to figure all this, this whole thing out. I don't think anybody's going to look at this and go, yeah. I don't think that happened. To, to me, this all seems very, very believable in the history of the NFL, not just the Cardinals in particular, with you bringing, I mean, you think about the contract and how that was kind of blown up when they signed Kyler Murray and they had the clause in there about how he had to make sure he was studying and they thought maybe he was playing video games too much to, you know, everything else that's happened there. But really, it's just... NFL league wide, do I find do I find it hard to believe that an owner would go, oh, I've got this great idea. Let's use burner phones. Like, no, that's not that far fetched of an idea that one of these thirty one owners is going to come up with a plan like that. I'm waiting to see what this thing yields because if this means if the NFL is going to come down on Michael Bidwell the same well same way that they did with Stephen Ross and leading to the forfeiture of draft picks. That's serious. That's really serious. And this is not a team that can afford right now as it is you know, trying to prevent from a tailspin with a new coaching staff and a new GM to slip up anymore because they've done that for the last couple of years. It felt like they were finally getting back on track with Monty Osenfort and Jonathan Gannon trying to lead this thing in the right direction. Then you have something like this pop up. This is not good for business at all. No, and it's going to be hanging out there for a while because, again, now the Cardinals have 20 days to respond to these allegations, and then the NFL will move forward from there. Coming up next here on Canty and Carlin, there is one person who tried to put an end to LSU star Angel Reese and the criticism she was deserving after what she did in the closing moments of the national championship game on Sunday. We'll tell you who that person is coming up next. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, in the ESPN app. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 
30 for 30 podcast and Antscape presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. All this over a sign that was popularized by this man, John Cena in WWE. A lot of consternation, hand-wringing in the women's college basketball world after the Women's National Championship on Sunday. Angel Reese, we just heard from there, and Caitlin Clark. They had a good back and forth. We discussed that right now. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And, of course, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Gabe Neitzel, along with Courtney Cronin, as we fill in for the guys today. And there was just so much that was made of the trash talk, and specifically of Angel Reese following around Caitlin Clark toward the end of that national championship game that, by the way, was watched by 9.9 million people uh, in L.A. LSU's victory over Iowa, where she then gave the you can't see me and then pointed at her ring finger to indicate, hey, we just won a championship. And Caitlin Clark, to her credit, she just stood there and she took it when this happened with Angel Reese because Caitlin Clark, she had been using that that hand signal, you know, you can't see me all tournament long, all season long to kind of celebrate the type of season she had, the type of player that she is. And today on ESPN, Caitlin Clark said, well, here's how I feel about the criticism that's been coming towards Angel Reese in these last couple of days. I don't think Angel should be criticized at all. Um, you know, no matter which way it goes, um, you know, she should never be criticized for what she did. Um, you know, I'm just one that competes and she competed. So I think everybody knew there was going to be a little trash talk in the entire tournament. It's not just me and Angel. So, um, you know, I don't think she should be criticized. Like I said, um, LSU deserves it. They played so well. And like I said, I'm a big fan of hers. Trash talk and basketball, Courtney, seem to go hand in hand. Like People love telling the story of Larry Bird showing up for a three-point contest back in the 80s and looking around and going, okay, who's, who's playing for second? You know, Michael Jordan, historically great trash talker. Allen Iverson stepping over Ty Lue in an NBA Finals. All of these things celebrated in basketball history. I, I don't understand why we've made such a big deal out of this over the last couple of days. Well, those things that you mentioned were celebrated in the men's game. Women's basketball, it's a little different. All of the things that we've heard from the last 48 hours of people saying it's classless, it's this, it's that, that's coded language for it's not ladylike to act like that, to go and flex on your opponent, to put your opponent's nose in it. And whether you like that or not, that's allowed in the men's arena the way it's not allowed in the women's arena. And that, to me, speaks to a larger issue here, a larger subject matter than race that, you know, a player like Caitlin Clark, I, I, I know that some people say, well, she's covered differently than a player like Angel Reese. And who was Angel Reese talking about when she said, you all have labeled me, I don't fit your na- narrative, you've labeled me a certain way all year. I don't think she's speaking to media members directly. You can go take a look at her Twitter mentions. You can go type her name into any search engine and find people spewing vitriol at her because they don't like the way that she acted out of the lines that we don't want people to color outside of. And that's just unfortunate because women deserve to have the same sort of freedom and flexibility to flex however they want to. We talked to Simone Augustus last night, who was you know part of LSU during the, the mid-2000s, and she was telling me on ESPN Radio that she once got a technical foul for yelling and one after, you know, like trying to make a basket. And that's what people do. Like when you get called for a, when when you hear the whistle and you're waiting there as the ball suspended in the air and you're hoping that it goes in, you yell and one. That is what you do. That is that is basketball, Gabe. And she got technical for that. 
Find me one time that's happened in the men's game where somebody's got a technical for something that benign. We're maybe just not used to seeing it as a society. Reminder, this is the first time we've had a women's college basketball championship that has grossed over 9.9 million viewers. It's remarkable, but you're getting eyeballs on this product that have not seen it before. And the big thing that people are taking issue with, the one thing I think that's okay is the following Caitlin Clark around to say, hey, make sure you see me doing this to you. If you have any criticism, let that be the one, not the fact that Angel Reese did what Caitlin Clark did in the earlier part of the tournament and gave her a taste of her own medicine. Man, handing out texts for yelling and one, Greg Monroe could have never had a career. That was a guy <laughs> on the men's side who yelled at us, think, every time he touched the ball in the post, whether he was at Georgetown or in the NBA. It's... Look, this to me, this is only something that's good for the women's game, the trash-talking back and forth. It's what makes the rivalries feel real, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're after 9.9 million people tuned in for that national championship game, they wouldn't draw that in the regular season next year, but you're telling me you're not going to be able to draw a heck of a number if, if you know ESPN televises an LSU-Iowa game during the course of the women's college basketball season next year? Rivalries are great for sports, and a lot of times with those rivalries goes trash talk, whether we're talking about the men's side, whether we're talking about the women's side. So I think the hand-wringing, the, the pearl-clutching, it just needs to stop, and you just need to sit back and, and enjoy it because it was a very enjoyable game on Sunday, and I hope we get more of that and more of those rivalries going forward in the women's game. Coming up next here on Canty and Carlin, who are the teams nobody wants to face in the NBA playoffs? We'll talk about it. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. Let it come. FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu.